What's going on, everybody? This is Andrew Ball filling in for Jack Kelly as host of Point to the Spot, a U.S.-based podcast focused on the world of football. Joining me today, as always, he's joining us straight from the bar room, Mr. Reed Hammond. Reed, how are you, sir? Oh, yeah. No, dude, I'm really good. Uh, you know, slow shift. Didn't make a ton of cash. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see if I can make a rent if I'm going to have to start pleading poverty with my landlords, but... Other than that, it's been a good day. I, you know, in the beautiful city of Milwaukee, I biked the downtown to my overly priced uh, Victorian house. So we will. Uh, it's gonna be a good summer. I'm really liking this. You know, I couldn't. I had a big, big run in with my landlord about parking last week, uh, and now I got a bike. So I will update you when I get hit by a car. Well, we will be hoping that doesn't happen. Uh, especially not in the next week, because as you might have noticed, Jack Kelly's not with us. He is off in the Benelux countries in Europe without us. He didn't bring us along, Reed. I'm kind of mad. Uh, yeah, like, and he's not seeing the women's Euros, and he's uh, also going to France. So, you know, you, he has not done the pod well, it must be said. But we must soldier on, right, Reed? Oh, yeah, always. The pod lives on. I lives on. Well, it's it's been a little bit of a, a while since we've had a chance to just chat, especially you and I, Reed. It's usually me and Jack having the, the chats about football, but uh, a lot has happened since our last meeting. Um, we've, of course, had some wonderful guest podcasts with Nathan Carr and with Matthew Cox talking about Tampa Bay, St. Pete, MLS expansion. We encourage you to go check those out if you haven't already. But today, I think we're going to mix it up. We're going to just talk some transfers and the one club that has been the talk of the transfer window thus far is AC Milan uh, spending the GDP of a small European country this off season, um, bringing in a host of big names. Reed, do you want to walk us through a little bit kind of like some of their moves and also where they're getting all this money from? Okay. So AC Milan have uh, essentially bought nine um, there's about nine players to replace their starting eleven. Uh, it's been pretty pretty bonkers. Like I must be, it must be said that uh, the the deals that they have made have almost all been really really good. Um, I would agree with that. But and like they've been good deals as well. Like they're fiscally responsible deals. But when you make you know nine major signings. And then also signed Donna Donnarumma, ugh, home homegrown boy Donnarumma to a mega contract. They got bought out last uh, winter, I believe, by Sing uh, Singapore Investment Group, and they have just been plunging in the cash. They are really going, uh, you know, Champions League or League title or bust because, you know, we've seen this happen before. Like if you don't, if this doesn't come right, you're going into administration. Like this is going to be another Parma. And, and some of these guys, I mean, the interesting thing to me is they've paid massive loan fees to bring in, like, Frank Cassie is on loan. And they paid... Well, Frank, Frank Cassie, that's actually an interesting one because Frank Cassie is on loan, um, but he's on loan, He's on, I think it's a two-year loan with a mandatory obligation to buy. Yeah. Um, which is basically just, like, deferring the costs. Exactly. Until after and, they get Champions League, presumably. Yeah. 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 Well, and let's look at some of them. So the big one that really put the world on notice... I mean, we were kind of on notice before, but that really shocked the world was Leonardo Benucci 
perhaps the top defender in the world, depending on who you ask. I think that's a fair assertion, but it's all subjective. Uh, moving from Juventus, where no one thought he was going to leave. Like, I mean, I think Reid and I, both of us agreed when these rumors were coming out that we thought they were bogus. But moving from Juventus to uh, AC Milan, other big deals, Andre Silva, 38 million, joining from Porto. Andrea Conti, joining from Atalanta for 25 million. Hakan Kalangu, joining from Leverkusen, 22 million. Uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, coming over from Wolfsburg for 18 million. And like, they closed one today, Lucas Biglia joining from Lazio for 17 million. And there are still, you know, three or four other transfers that I haven't even mentioned, just to show how crazy this offseason has been for them. Yeah, no, it's definitely been crazy. It's definitely been, uh, you know, you can't point to a single one. Well, perhaps the, you know, Borny deal, the loan deal that they got in from Sunderland, like that's perhaps the only like proper, like, what are you thinking, like kind of move. But all the other ones are, you know, talents that everyone around Europe would take, you know, if if they're not starting on your team, they're a really good squad player. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's been good. But when you add that many key components to a team, um, you can definitely fall flat on your face if they don't hit the ground running immediately. Another interesting thing, I mean, you look at some of these transfers, uh, Biglia, Bonucci, aforementioned, Tronchesi, coming from their Serie A rivals, kind of weakening, they're pulling a Bayern Munich and weakening the competition um, for their own benefit. Where where do you see them ranking among Serie A teams next year? Because we've kind of alluded to this, they really need to make the Champions League, and if we're being honest here, if not win the title, come very close if they were going to justify all the spending and not fall into financial ruin. I mean, you, the, the, the way these deals are structured with the loan deal, you know, you have a very, very short window of opportunity to, to get a big financial windfall for making the Champions League. Also, financial fair play, I mean, you have a three-year window for that, so that it's not an imminent concern, but at some point they're going to either have to start selling players or get a lot of money in because uh, UEFA rules, you know, you can't take automatic big losses um, for controversial rules to, to keep teams from kind of doing what AC Milan has done, essentially. Um, but, Reid, do you think that they can come good on this promise and finish top two in Serie A, get Champions League? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, they the nice thing about these transfers is that, you know, you're not plucking them out of, you know, the Colombian second division. They're players who know the league and they know the language, they know the country. So it's not well, the vast majority of them. Um so it's not really something that, you know, that they will take adjustments. They will need time to take adjustments in the country. Like they should be able to, you know, handle a, you know, couple hundred mile move. Um which, you know, bodes well and all of them seem to be under a general uh, tactical um, tactical idea. Like none of them don't seem to mesh well uh, and they add a lot to the team. It's just, it, it's really hard to motivate players um, who are there before when, you know, their starting spots might be gone. Like if you look at the signings that they've made with their, you know, they signed two major center backs um, and, you know, AC Milan, they, they weren't, poor in defense before um, the signing. So that leads you to believe that it's going to be switched to Benucci's preferred three-man, uh, three-center-back lineup with Benucci playing as the sweeper in the middle or the cover in the middle. So it's uh, it's definitely 
going to be a tactical switch. It's going to be a for, like, you know, the entire formation is going to be moved around. So there's going to be a lot of change that uh, AC Milan are going to have to get over. But, you know, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be kind of a sleeping giant AC Milan because someone has got to disrupt Serie A. Like, it's, it's ridiculous at this point. Um, so I think it's it's one of those things where, like, I think the footballing world are going to be rooting for AC Milan all the way through because, you know, you want them to succeed. You want Serie A to become a relevant league again um, because, it's, you know, that old adage, iron sharpens iron. And despite Juventus making two Champions League finals in the last three years, they haven't been able to put over the line. And it's, you know, I'm not saying that more competition domestically is going to get them over the line. It'll actually probably harm their Champions League performances because it's going to make the domestic league just a little bit tougher but um it's definitely going to make syria a more attractive league to watch and a more attractive league for players to go to well i mean when i first got into watching world football i mean ac milan were a giant you know um back when the, I mean, the, the heyday of kaka and when ronaldinho played for ac milan they were not only a big club they were an attractive club to watch something that has not at all been true the past few years and I, I did not see – well, I mean, I, I think everyone in the world who observed soccer knew the AC Milan were going to make some waves. I actually expected Inter Milan, you know, the crosstown rival, to be the one to watch. Um, they're also looking to regain their – they're sort of a fallen giant, if you will. Um, and they appear to be closing in on the signature of Keita Balde um, with Ivan Perisic probably heading out to Manchester United. That's the latest in the rumor mill. But a lot of good young talent, Yao Mario, uh, Jeffrey Dogbia. So, I mean, you know, AC Milan ascending to be sure, but also, you know, Inter Milan also on the up and up. And you, know, you still had to get by Juventus, which is easier said than done. And, and Roma and Napoli and, you know, Serie A is not bereft of talent, I think it's safe to say. And, it, you know, AC Milan is not going to waltz in and just snag a top two spot. Yeah, like, you know, this isn't China. Like, you can't literally just buy the title. Um, well, for that matter, it's not England either. Um, you know, like, last season, there were some genuine glimmers of hope with that Roma side because it really seemed like maybe this was going to be the year that Juventus don't pull it off. Um, and, of course, they definitely figured out their season pretty quick. Um, or they, they straightened, the, straightened the course pretty quick when, in, you know, the business end of the season started to come and, you know, the Champions League final you know still they still had a great season despite some early hiccups um so it's that roma side definitely uh, presents a challenge uh not just for ace not for just for juventus but also for ac milan for that you know i think if you anything below top two and a great chase for the title is a huge disappointment and also probably financially unviable um but you know ac milan are definitely back um and speaking of a team that is that's not back. Manchester United getting into, getting out of their, uh, you know, transitional phases that has happened since Fergie with these crazy transfers. Um, you know, a ton of crazy business going on in Everton. So when we come back from the break. Well, hold on real quick, Reed. I, I want to get a oh, prediction out of you. So in a year and change, when we're watching the Champions League draw, will AC Milan pot two? Yeah. yeah. That's what you mean, yes. Yeah, AC AC Milan pot two. And in nine months, when we're looking at whoever's holding up the Serie A trophy, will it be AC Milan? 
That's a much harder one. Um, I say no. Just because historically when no. you see yeah, this I say of, no. You would also say no? Like historically yeah, when you see yeah. these kinds of like big splash in the cash summers, Manchester City has had a few of those. It takes time. It does not all come together, especially in a league as competitive as Syria. As you noted, we are not in China. I think that's a great Reed Hammond quote. Um, I think we're in agreement. But as Reed said, when we come back to the break, we'll see if there is agreement on Manchester United's big summer and their big signing, Romelu Lukaku, going to Manchester. Enjoy the music. We'll be back in a second. Welcome back to the show, everyone. You heard us talk Surya, but we know that's not why you're here. We know you're here for the good stuff. Well, fine. I'm going to do it one more time. Okay. It's late. It's late in the East Coast. Okay. Yeah, it is. Welcome back to the show, everyone. You heard us talk Surya, but we know that's not why you're here. We know you're here for jolly good England, and Reed Hammond and I are here to deliver with the latest on the Barclays Premier League. I guess they're not Barclays anymore. That's going to take some getting used to. But Reed has his thoughts on the winners and losers, and I have my thoughts, and we will see how closely they match up. To begin with, Reed wants to talk about a club that has done literally nothing um, this transfer window, and that is Tottenham Hotspur, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, the biggest thing they've done, sell Kyle Walker to Manchester City for the bloated price of £50 million, which I think is an excellent bit of business because if uh, if the rumors are true and the deal is structured how it sounds like it is, Tottenham is getting something to the in the region of forty to forty three million of the forty eight million guaranteed up front, which is insane for a transfer. I mean that's money that they can reinvest in the squad right away, and it sounds like that's what they want to do. Looking at Ricardo Pereira, uh, which would be a good sign, replace Kyle Walker. Uh, looking at Ross Barclay, which would be a lot less good signing uh, as cover this coming season, and looking at Juan Foyth, uh, center back for Estudiantes in Argentina. Reed, real quick, we're, we're going to move on real quick from Tottenham because they haven't done much, but what do you think of their window thus far? Okay, no, I think it's been a wonderful window, and I think it's been really well coordinated between Levy and Pochettino. Um they, for me, they did almost all of their business um, in the over the uh, over the course of the season when they had um like what was it? it was a ridiculous like twelve contract signings, um, and they held over all of the players that they really really wanted to keep, and they despite not bringing a ton of people in, like getting fifty million for Kyle Walker, that's excellent negotiating. Like Daniel Levy is knocking it out of the park so far this window. Um, and I think like Tottenham are a side where they're, they have great depth already. Um, and we've seen that over the course of the last two seasons. And um, Kyle Walker, like he, by the end of it, with his attitude problems, he's already like almost losing his spot to Trippier, who in my opinion, Trippier, he's a little small for me to be a, you know, a top, top, top Premier League uh, fullback. Um, but it doesn't sound like they're going to be asking that of him this season. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. And I think, I think the moves that Tottenham will be making this season are going to be, or this transfer window, um, are going to be more reminiscent of, you know, 
a Dortmund or, a, you know, uh, Juventus where they're getting the players that they want and not just like desperately getting in anyone. You know what I mean? Like they're in such a strong position right now that they're in such a strong position right now. Uh, and they have such good cohesion between their um, manager and their ownership that only the players in that they want, only the players in that Pochettino wants and thinks he needs for the squad um, are going to come in and he's, you know, he's cutting out dead weight. Like, um, Who'd they sell that guy to uh, Schalke to, Andrew? I can't. I don't. Nadia Bentaleb. Yeah, like sixteen million of a player that, like, I literally have never heard of. Um, he started for them, so I'm kind of surprised you haven't. But well, like, real no, like, like, knowledge like, of the Tottenham side aside, he's like a fringe Tottenham player, and they got him for they sold him for over fifteen million pounds. Um, so I think they've had a great window and it doesn't seem like they're building up the war chest to make some ridiculous gaudy signing. Like they're just keeping up, like they're just following good practices, which is really refreshing to see. Um, well, we will hope that those good practices do not include Ross Barclay, but moving on to Tottenham's crosstown rival, Arsenal football club, Jack's not here. So we can be real frank about Arsenal's window thus far. Uh, bring in Siad Kolasinac from Schalke on a free and then, of course, the big signing, Alexander Lacazette. Reed, we're not going to go into too much detail in Arsenal because you weren't here, but Jack and I talked about it. But I think it's a fairly good bit of business for Arsenal and the balance of getting Lacazette. I don't think, however, that Alexis Sanchez will stay. So all things considered, I'm not sure at the moment if that comes to pass where Alexis Sanchez goes to Inter Milan, which it sounds like he might that Arsenal squad will be in any better position to qualify for the Champions League on this on opening day than they were last year. Reed, you have 20 seconds to respond to what I just said, and then we're going on. Uh, I don't think Alexis Sanchez adds as much to that side as it looks like because he de- t- generally tends to perform better when Arsenal are doing worth, worse, and I think Arsenal have just finally needed a player who can convert chances, which is under Lacazette. He came at the right time, not two years ago. I think he's refined himself. He's ready now. Go. Done. 20 seconds. That was pretty impressive. I did not think you would actually hold yourself to 20 seconds. Okay, then. Well, so who do you think then has had a bad window? I think that's the real question. We've had a bad window. Uh, we'll start okay, this I, off with the real quick softball. Crystal Palace have had a terrible window so far. I mean, like, really, like, my opinion, I said this in the pre-show. I think if you're not in the Bundesliga and you're not Monaco, you've had a bad offseason. But that being said, go ahead. Like Crystal Palace, like as things stand, are getting relegated. Um, just mark that in your books. Uh, like, there's been a ton of players that just got released because they're service to requirements um, and just aren't helping, and they're, you know, filling up the wage bill, which is basically all of Palace last year, just filling up the wage bill, not really participating. Uh, you know, they have Loftus Cheek in on loan from Chelsea, but you know, we're about, you know, a third of the way into the window. And they haven't like made any major moves, and they weren't really a side um, that was ready for Premier League survival. So as things stand for me, uh, Palace are going to finish bottom near that old Derby City mark. Uh, who else has had a bad window? I think Ever, I think Everton have had a bad window. I think uh, I think they're doing what AC Milan did, but slightly worse, where they're just spending a boatload of money. Um, and whereas Milan made a ton of signings, and they all seem tactically cohesive. Uh, you know, bringing in Davy Clawson and then also bringing in Wayne Rooney. You know what I mean? Like, a move uh, Everton can make. I think. Yeah, like bringing in bringing in Sandra Sandra Ramirez, like which is a good bit of business, 
but then you know like also buying michael Keane for up to 30 million pounds it's it's like literally all they would if they would have just bought uh pickford and santa ramirez they'd be having a really good window well but, so so my thing with those buys is like they're good but pickford by the time he gets good is probably gonna get sold because he's not sticking around everton long term and if he doesn't get good, then he's a waste of money. And Sandro was a great bit of business because he was really good in La Liga last year. But he's only useful if you sell Romelu Lukaku, which they obviously did. And, I mean, he's no Romelu Lukaku, or at least not yet. You know, he has no Premier League experience. Um, and really, not a ton, only one year of experience in the role that Everton are going to demand of him. So, yeah, and it's, it's Jack really and I discussed this, but I don't, I don't love the window. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to say, uh, as Delafoyu kind of made, uh, you know, kind of showed his head again back at AC Milan last season on loan, Barcelona did pluck him with that 10 million pound release clause. Uh, so it's, you know, and uh, Lukaku's also obviously gone. Um, so it looks like they're kind of trying to spread the goals out between Sandro uh, Rooney and Davi Klaassen, who's, who's the best analogy that I have for him is kind of like uh, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson, where he's in a t- he's a midfielder um, with a okay eye for set. He's not like Gilfie in that he's an expert on a dead ball, but he is a midfielder that likes to come up and arrive late in the box or you know drive in and score. He's definitely a scoring midfielder. Um, at this point, kind of so is Wayne Rooney. You know what I mean? Like he's not like they're they're playing the same role and granted granted it's ronald coleman and he knows how to use dutch players and he knows how to use um you know that kind of fluid attacking system like that on the top four uh but it's it's gonna be interesting and as i've said many times like i don't think ronald coleman has built any teams yet i think he's i think he's managed a couple teams that have been laid out for him brick for brick pretty well um and this is the first time it really looks like he's uh, he's definitely, you know, he's definitely spending the money to build something pretty crazy. Uh, well, not pretty crazy, but he's definitely building something by hand with the players that he wants with, you know, large stacks of money. Uh, so I think we're going to kind of see an unravel from him because people rate him. People think he's going to be like one of the next Barcelona managers. And I just don't like, I've never really seen him do anything particularly impressive. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Like granted, all these signings have been made with the, the man who found Riyad Mahrez, the man who found Jamie Vardy, the man who found N'Golo Kante with, um, you know, the old Leicester chief of, chief scout coming in as director of football kind of uh, role. So it's not totally crazy to think that they're pretty well scouted. Like, I, you know, I don't think he was really consulted for the yeah, Wayne like, Rooney deal, but I think he was consulted for that Belgian kid that came in. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. you kind of you, you kind of see like a mixed bag here of, you know, really good like Leicester-esque signings with uh, – Henry Akaroku and then Sandra Ramirez. Uh, but it's going to contribute right away. Don't require like a genius to scout them. Yeah, exactly. And, and Everton need players that are going to contribute right now, considering they sold their, you know, top goal scorer the last couple seasons. Uh, although the, the one argument that you can make with that is that they've brought in a lot of, or a couple of attacking players and perhaps they're trying to distribute the goals that Lukaku contributed um, which in theory is a good idea because then you're not overly dependent on one player like West Ham were for with Dimitri Payet, and then when he's gone, you're in shambles. Uh, but uh, it's whether or not they can do it and do it with confidence and do it consistently, and that's why spreading out goals like that is definitely uh, a risk in of itself. So it's we'll see. 
you know, we'll see where everybody plays. We'll see how Coleman builds it. I think we're going to see a lot more tactical experimentation from him next season with these players because they don't obviously um, line up into a into a neat 11. It will be very interesting to see. It will also be interesting to see how things go across the Mersey side. For Liverpool, FC, uh, the big deal, $35 million, Mohamed Salah coming from Roma. I like Mohamed Salah. I think he got a raw deal at Chelsea, and I think that he was excellent for Roma. Not quite sure tactically where he's going to play. Reed, you share some of these concerns? Um, yeah, Mohamed Salah for Roma kind of played um, he kind of played in between a striker and a right winger, like not an inside forward playing on the right drifting. He was just kind of like hanging out to the right and behind the striker providing for him and doing a lot of interchange. Like him and Jekko, like Jekko had his best season in years because of Mohamed Salah and it's all because of Mohamed Salah. And he's a great player. If you can build a system in, you can use him in a system that he excels in. But uh, he's, a, he's a player who does his very best on the right, much like Alexis Sanchez. And when you move him around all over the place, he's not going to be giving you what you brought him here to do. And that Liverpool side, so much of their, so much of who moved the ball for them on a week-to-week basis was, um, was Sadio Mane. And with him, like you, if, if you use Salah's rotation or a supplementation of... Um, Mane and you have Salah on the right and Mane in the up top or you know taking a rest it's going to change the way you play and it's it's one of those things where you know you kind of end up with too many of the same players like that like um you know with this Salah move you th- definitely think Coutinho is going to be playing farther back in the park and kind of um you know controlling play rather than attack like you know being in a proper attacking midfielder so I think it's it's not a bad player to bring in, but I just don't see how he obviously fits into a top four kind of um, attacker in that Liverpool side. Klopp does like a bit of fluid attacking, so we'll see. Like it's it's the best manager to handle this kind of situation. But um, again, I know Andrew doesn't really agree with this statement, but I think it's a really poor bit of business solely on African Cup of Nations alone because with qualifying and with uh, the actual African Cup of Nations, Mane and Salah are both going to be gone for that when that happens. Um, and, you know, that's the entire right side and two guys that you definitely rely on week in, week out on that right side. If it's not one, it's the other. Gone for a month, a month and a half. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Like, I think it's, for me, like on that alone, it's a bad signing. Um, but I, they'll roll with it, I guess. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Uh, I disagree with the African combinations argument. I mean, especially that we just had one. We're several years out from the next one. I mean, you know, there's a very real chance Mohamed Salah will not be wearing a Liverpool kit by the next time he plays in the African Cup of Nations. You know, I mean, football, that's the nature of football these days. You know, you just got to build the best team you can. And, and well, I don't think it's wise to have 11 elite guys from countries usually competing in the um, ACN. I don't think it's that big a deal for Liverpool's perspective. Um, well, it's, it's just like it, it's it's um, it's January of next season. Like it's literally like a season and a half away. Oh, that's true. I forgot that they're so, trying to. Yeah, they're every two years now. Yeah, I forgot yeah. that they flipped the time frame. Yeah, I still don't think it's that big a deal. So, well, like it's just like for me, the likelihood that Salah will be ingrained in that Liverpool side with Mane. Um, like with like, I think Salah will be 
in a Liverpool kit at AFCON. I just don't know if Mane will be, but I would think he has because his best play has come at Liverpool so far. Um, so, like, likelihood that they'll be together and deeply, deeply ingrained and integral to that side for me is really likely. So, it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a huge hiccup. Um, like, I think like you're overestimating. We'll like, like, always, we'll see. Yeah, like, always, we'll see. And in the end, it's only a month, but who knows if we kind of look back at this and say, oh, crap, like that month was what, you know, killed Liverpool's title hopes in this season and a half. But yeah. I don't know if Liverpool keep going like they had, but they'll find a way to kill their title hopes one, one way or another. I, I, I don't think that, I think Salah is, I think you're overestimating a bit the role Salah is going to play. I think that while he was excellent for Roma last season, he is going to be, I mean, calling him a rotation option is, I think, doing him a disservice. But assuming Liverpool get by Bait Borsov or whoever the hell they have to play to get in the Champions League, this will probably be a Champions League side. And that means, you know, you're going to have to increase the number of elite attacking options available to you. And especially given the demanding system Jurgen Klopp likes to play, I think that that means that there's more of a role for a guy like Mohamed Salah. Um, but, yeah, like you say, time will tell. Um, um, and on to someone I thought it had a very, very good window so far. Manchester City, Bernardo Silva, 43 million pounds from Monaco, decent deal. Edison, 35 million pounds from Benfica. Uh, young goalkeeper uh, Kyle Walker for the reported 50 million pounds from Tottenham. Ouch. And then Douglas Luiz, uh, a young attacking player from Vasco da Gama in Brazil for about 10 million pounds. Uh, people have likened him to Ronaldinho. People have likened him to um, Ronaldinho in his dribbling, Neymar in his attacking presence. Uh, he's definitely thought to be, you know, the next big guy uh, coming up from the, uh, you know, in alien Premier Division. Uh, but, you know, it's really hard to tell. I think City have one of the best scouting networks in the world right now. Um, you know, outside of, of course, Monaco and probably, you know, Bayern Munich. Uh, but it's it could be a risk. We've seen Gabriel Jesus do very, very well. And I think those two can develop alongside each other very well. And that's an interesting idea. Um, I think Pep can use him because he's a fluid attacker. And that's exactly what Pep wants. Um, and it's, in the end, only 10 million pounds, so it's not a crazy, crazy move, and there's not a ton of pressure on this kid to perform right away. Um, but, yeah, I think it's I think that's something that people aren't aren't giving enough credit for. They've, you know, absolutely gutted, uh, you know, that aging back line. Um, and they also got, they got uh, Jesus Navas off the wage bills, so it's it's been a pretty... Uh, pretty decent window for them. They got Nolito off back to Sevilla, Sevilla again. Um, Andrew, do you have any big gripes for this? I think they've done very well so far. I think they've bought the right players. I think they've spent way too much on each one of them. But that's kind of what has to happen. Like, if you're City, you're not going to drive a hard bar. Like, you just can't. You know what I mean? Like, they are not the team that, you know. Sure, but you asked my thoughts, and those are my thoughts. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I think the only big question mark here is going to be Ederson. We've seen yep. a big money goalkeeper do poorly um, in Claudio Bravo. Ederson is not the same quite kettle, of, not quite the same kettle of fish. But um, I think juxtaposing Ederson to Jordan Pickford this season is going to be very interesting to see two young, um, very young first choice goalkeepers for one very large Premier League club and one slightly smaller Premier League club. I think Ederson has all the capabilities to be a very good player, and we've seen Dom Aruma be very good. Um, so, you know, young goalkeepers aren't often given a lot of a lot of leeway, um, and we've seen it work in the last couple of years. So, 
you know, all like hoping for the best for Edison, hoping for the best for Jordan Pickford, of course. Um, but you know, 35 million pounds is a lot of pressure to put on a kid. Um, you know, who's adapting to England, like I don't think speaks the language. Uh, yeah. And I think some early, early blunders could definitely, definitely hurt him. Um, well, if all, everything goes to hell in a handbasket, there's always Claudio Bravo real quick, uh, before we move on to the final piece of our show, which I think everyone's waiting for, uh, Manchester United cough, cough. Real quick, uh, my best window of the season, maybe the only team in the EPL that can say this, is Leicester, of all teams, bringing in uh, Harry Maguire, 17 million pound, young defender from Hull City, which Jack and I discussed a couple shows ago. And then I think a really underrated player for Sevilla, Vicente Bora, um, well, I think has some freedom in that midfield. Um, you know, you kind of have to wonder if Leicester scouted him in the ill-fated Champions League tie last season and picked him out because I thought he did very well in that series. Um, good bit of business. I think that was also around 17 million pounds. Uh, and then as Reed noted, we were talking off-air, offloading Ron Robert Zeller, who didn't really – he was a backup keeper. They got him on a free back to the Bundesliga in Stuttgart for, I think, around 8 million pounds. So some good business there. Real quick, Reed doesn't agree with this. Uh, I think Chelsea have had a good window bringing on Timue Bakayoko, uh, which is signaling the likely exit of Nemanja Matic, probably to Manchester United. Um, 40 million pounds, which is a lot, but an elite young midfielder who I think can really fill into um, Conte's system well. Reed, we're going to do this again. 20 seconds. What are your thoughts on Chelsea's window? Um, okay, this will be 20 seconds. I swear to fucking God. Chelsea have had a very poor window because they've sold all of their young players that have been up and coming and players that have been chomping at the bit. Bertrand Traore de Leon, Nathan Ake to Bournemouth, who they got a good fee for and they have a buyback clause for. Dominic Solianek on a tribunal, so meaning like two million pounds to Liverpool, and he blew up at the um, summer tournament. Great up and coming young player. They offloaded Aspir Begovic to, to Bournemouth, which I thought was a good deal for both sides. But I think they've lost too many young players who would have really contributed to this side and brought in players who will not bring them up to be able to survive and go deep into Champions League. Slightly longer, longer than 20 seconds, seconds, but yeah, I can't, you know. Uh, a fair take, I think. I mean, Rudiger, Good player. I think is a decent talent. I'm not sure that he's going to like help him a ton. Well, he's a, great, he's a great Antonio Conte center back, though. Yeah, exactly. I don't know that he's going to, yeah, I think I agree with you on him. I don't think he's going to be a real asset this year. Yeah, he's not going to pull up any trees. Like, Willie Caio. Um, and to replace Asmir Begovic, which I think is good. It's just like fiscally responsible. If, if Bournemouth want to shell out 20 million pounds for Begovic, be my, or however much it was to Begovic, be my guest. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, Bournemouth is slowly becoming Chelsea's B team, you know, with Ake and Begovic <laughs> going there. Uh, kind so of, kind of like a relationship it, like Southampton and Liverpool. But like in reverse, which is super weird. You know what I mean? It's absolutely it's Chelsea, mate. You're saying Bournemouth yeah. is the new Vitesse. Yeah, yeah. But like, except for Bournemouth, they're buying Chelsea players. It's just so weird. Um, you know, like it's a damn shame to see uh, Nathaniel Chabalou go to Watford instead of break into the first team. You know what I mean? Like it's a damn shame to see Bertrand Traore, who made the Europa League final and played well for um, Ajax throughout the entire year, go for under 10 million to Lyon just because. Um, Conte doesn't want to work him into the system. And I think I think Chelsea are too finely posed of a team. Um, like they built a great system last season, but it was, as I've said many, oh, many oh, times, it's so personnel defendant, dependent 
that um, I think Rudiger will do really well because he's like an Italian, just by being German, playing at Rome and built him as an Italian style center back. And he plays kind of in the way that um, Conte likes to line up his center backs. But uh, Bakayoko, I think, will be a better version of Matic, like a more mobile ber- version of Matic. But I, agree I don't, there, I think. But I don't think, um, and if they can get a similar feed for Matic, that they paid for Bakioko, great, you know, great business for that, for that deal alone. But they haven't added personnel to this side that can contribute in the Champions League. Um, and even if, you know, like if you're playing Burnley and then you're playing uh, like, uh, like Schalke or something, you know, on the weekend, like you want uh, a Tammy Abraham to step in for whoever plays up top. Like you want a Nathan Ake to step in for Azbekoita. You want uh, Nathaniel Chabalou to step in in the midfield. Like there's they they got rid of all of these up and coming, and this is going to be like kind of the, that generation of Chelsea youngsters players or Chelsea youngsters to step up and get a decent role in the first team and definitely contribute. And they sold them, which like I think that's mind boggling. And on that on the outs alone, um, despite not losing a member of the first eleven yet, with Costa going to China forward slash enter forward slash sitting on the bench at um, Atletico. I I think it's been a poor window and I don't think, uh, you know, they're like, I think they have every much as chance to repeat the title as Lester did. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, Reed Hammond bearing the hot take here on the show. Um, Speaking of Chelsea youth castaways, one of them got rewarded very handsomely. Uh, and I think we all, you all know who that is. We're going to move on to Manchester United and wrap this thing up. Um, the big transfer, of course, Sam Johnston going on loan to Aston Villa. <laughs> Just kidding. It's Lukaku. 75 million pounds, probably more than that with add-ons. Uh, coming in, filling the role of Zlatan slash Wayne Rooney. Um, also coming in, kind of got overlooked. Victor Lindelof. I botched that one. We're going to cut that off. Lindelof, Lindelof uh, from Benfica, Ivan Perisic, uh, Nemanja Matic, maybe also joining them. Eric Dyer, I hope not. The rumor mill is having a field day. But Reed, the one that people want to hear about, what are your takes on Romelu Lukaku going to Manchester United? Lukaku, okay, granted, uh, United have spent over 100 million pounds on two players so far this window. I just want to point that out. Um, Romelu Lukaku is an excellent forward in the mold of um, Luka- of Zlatan. He's definitely, as as people like to say, he's a Mourinho player. He's hard-nosed. He's physical. He's big. Um, you know, he adds to that already pretty big Manchester United starting 11. He's going to do very, very well right away. Like, I don't care what happened in that LA friendly where people said he missed the city. Like, I don't care. That's so un- unworth talking about. It's like literally not worth the breath I just spoke. Um but for at the age of 24 to be so mature on the ball and people don't give him anywhere near enough credit for being that good with his head and with his, um, you know, with his head to goal, you know, he's not a back to goal kind of player bouncing it around. He's great at positioning himself. He's great for finding channels and getting open for passes. Um, I think he's an excellent player. I think he can be used in a lot of capacities up top. And I think Mourinho uh, got the man that he wanted clearly. Well, he has a pretty good history with strikers. Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah. He, he definitely kind of knows how to pick them. Um, I think there's a, there's a deal for Perisic to come in for something like 40 million pounds. Um, And I think that's absolutely 
like a, a terrible, terrible deal. Because he's a, like people plot him as a great crosser of the ball, which I think is dumb. Um, you know, United have a lot of great younger-ish players like Martial, Linford, Lin, uh, blah, blah, blah. Martial, uh, Rashford, and uh, Linegard. Um and those players will do, you know, just as good, if not better, um, and not cost another forty million pounds to be a twenty-eight-year-old winger. Um, you know, at that point, just buy Anatovich, you can get him for twenty million pounds. May like Weston already trying to do that right now. Um, you know, in terms of the outs, they got rid of Waza, which is, you know, in the end, a good thing. Get him off the wage bill, despite you know some lingering thoughts that he is getting some of his wages paid by United still, which I think is probably happening. Uh, they got Adnan Yanazai off to Real Sociedad for eight million pounds, which is actually really interesting. The one story I want to share about Adnan Yanazai is that um, I hope it's better than your story about. Um, it's much better than my Frankie Alp story. Frankie Alp yeah. story. Um, Adnan Yanazai, when he came over, he's uh, he's I think it's Serbian by by birth. He's Baltic Balkan by birth. Yeah, Baltic by birth. Um, and. He grew up in Belgium, so he had Belgium eligibility. But he's he was in England for long enough before the 2014 World Cup to possibly declare for English nationality to you know declare for England um, on the international stage. And uh, he was a really flying up and coming player. People thought like you know this kid's so good on the ball, he's so good in front of goal. All he has to do is thicken out, and he's going to be a great player. Like you know, like kind of thing. He'll grow up and he'll be a great player. Um, and there's a big talk about, uh, you know, what does it mean to be English? What does it mean to be Belgian? Because in the end, he, de- he declared for Belgium. He was born in Belgium, but he's a, you know, his entire family history, his parents came over from I, the former Yugoslavia. I think it was Serbia. I'm not sure on that, though. Um, and it just, it was this huge thing about, like, what does it mean to be English? This huge conversation stung up. Um, and around that same time, there was kind of, you know, the uh, Abby Wambach statements about, uh, whether or not foreign-born players should be playing for the U.S. national team. And it was just a really interesting talk around, uh, you know, who builds, who does, who quotes deserves to be part of a national team. Uh, and you know, it, with that alone, it kind of it's sad to see the kid go and not really work out. Uh, he had a very unsuccessful loan to um, Dortmund last season. Uh, you know, wishing wishing him all the best. Uh, you know, he, he definitely has not panned out how a lot of people thought he would. So, uh, two quick points. One, what does it mean to be English? It means you miss penalties when it matters. Uh, two, for all you Eastern European nationalists out there, uh, direct all your complaints to at that one kid read because Adnan Zanujaj is Albanian. Uh, which is Yugoslavian. Yeah, but like they had a little bit of a messy breakup. So you might want to get yeah. that right next time. You're not, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't okay. want your house to be targeted by like an RPG wielding um, dissident. So, yeah. Yeah. Quick, quick aside. Do you guys remember that? Um, I think it was Kosovo versus Albania when they had that drone come in with that flag. Crazy. Yep. Not great. Uh, I made redo this a few times. My 22nd take on United's window. Lukaku, great fit for the system. I, you know how you get like a not complete grade sometimes on your report card if you really suck. Or you don't have you have outstanding work. That's my grade for Manchester United. Uh, they're going to splash a lot more cash before this window is over, and I think that we'll need to wait for that before we have a well-rounded uh, or able to make a well-rounded judgment on whether or not they can make Champions League this next season. Reed, 
I think the, the listeners have had enough of us talking transfers, but if we want to take the discussion online, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at that one could read, come, come in, uh, DM me, tweet me about my thoughts on Swansea's window so far, which I have a lot of. Um, and, you know, maybe one pod they'll come out. And maybe his thoughts on Eastern European nationalism, too, because we see I, that he has a lot of them. You know, to all our Serbian Orthodox uh, listeners out here, how you doing? Um, big fan. My godmother, Serbian Orthodox. Your funerals are very sad. Okay. Um, on that note, I am Andrew Ball. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. Come talk to me about uh, League One transfers, League uh, transfers uh, in French because I need to practice my French because I'm taking a French class this next semester. So come at me on Twitter. Always happy to talk. But for now, if you want to find Jack and hear, ask him about Europe, you can find him at actual Jack Kelly. He is actually Jack Kelly, even though he's not here. But... In the meantime, until this weekend, um, we're going to edit this out. In the meantime, until this weekend, um, hope you enjoyed the episode. Bidding farewell. Oh, fuck. You can find the show at Point to the Spot with numeral two on the Twitter. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, Give us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. 